Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence, sexual assault, and suicidal ideation. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. On a cold November night in 1991, 16-year-old Lori Sho stood in the East Town Mall parking lot, waiting for her ride home. She shifted her weight nervously from one foot to another, keeping her eyes on the road ahead. Being out in the open too long made her anxious. For the past four months, she'd been harassed by an old acquaintance, Lisa Michelle Lambert. It seemed that wherever Lori went, Lisa was right behind her, screaming insults and threats. So when Lori spotted a familiar car speeding toward the parking lot, she turned to run. But before she could get away, Lisa and her boyfriend Lawrence Youngkin screeched to a halt in front of her. Lori was trapped. She started to cry as a very pregnant Lisa jumped out of the car and slammed her head against a nearby truck. Lisa screamed that Lori had ruined her baby's life. Lori pleaded with Lisa to leave her alone, but it was no use. Lisa had a score to settle. Her happily ever after had forever been tainted. Lori slept with her man, and for that, she would pay. I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll cover the toxic relationship between Lisa Michelle Lambert and Lawrence Youngkin. We'll discuss Lawrence's short-lived romance with Lori Show and how their summer fling threw Lisa into a jealous rage. Next week, we'll investigate the tragic murder that followed and the string of sensational trials that rocked the small community to its core. We'll also explore how a convicted murderer, sentenced to life behind bars, exploited legal loopholes to gain 10 months of freedom. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Lisa Michelle Lambert was every parent's dream. Sweet, adorable, and well-behaved. Her mother and father, Judy and Len, 
doted on her, but being the golden child came with its fair share of pressures. In 1979, when Lisa was just seven years old, Judy had a miscarriage and sank into a deep depression. With her mother unable to look after the family, Lisa assumed the role of caregiver for her five-year-old brother. Fortunately, Judy's mental health eventually improved and she went on to have two more sons. But even then, Lisa shouldered plenty of responsibility. In addition to doing housework and babysitting her younger brothers, her parents expected her to earn top grades every semester. Though she got plenty of praise back home, things were different at school. At the time, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, being smart meant you were different and being different was social suicide. Before I continue with Lisa's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to a 2016 study, the mental and emotional impacts of bullying socially isolate young victims. Researchers wrote, you're also stunted because of the constant tension and because maybe you forego making certain friendships or miss out on taking certain chances that could actually help your development. Relentless harassment might have driven Lisa to develop a deep-seated insecurity. By high school, she had completely changed her personality. She stopped caring about her grades altogether and swapped out her nerdy friends for the cool kids. She turned into a bully herself, though deep down she craved the same validation she had when she was younger. During the summer of 1989, Lisa did what any other cool kid would do. She worked on her tan at the community pool. Now 16, she had grown into a beautiful young woman with striking brown eyes and dark hair. And plenty of boys took notice. 18-year-old lifeguard Lawrence Yunkin was particularly smitten. That summer, he met Lisa at the pool and started flirting with her almost immediately. Lisa was flattered. Not only was Lawrence tall, dark, and handsome, but he was cocky in a way that she found irresistible. When he brazenly told Lisa that he didn't like her name, she happily agreed to go by her middle one, Michelle. From the outside looking in, Lisa and Lawrence were a match made in heaven. By their second date, Lawrence introduced Lisa to his parents. On their fourth, the two had sex. But according to Lisa, it wasn't consensual. She claimed Lawrence raped her. She also said that immediately afterward, he was so racked with guilt that he offered to marry her to make amends. Lawrence has denied these allegations. He insisted he was head over heels in love with Lisa. But he clearly didn't love everything about her. In addition to telling his new girlfriend to change her name, he also pressured her to alter her appearance. According to Lisa, he preferred girls that looked like Barbie dolls. She bleached her hair blonde and started wearing blue-colored contact lenses to please him. By the time the summer was over, it certainly seemed like Lawrence was pleased. He and Lisa were inseparable. They even made up a story that Lisa's parents had kicked her out so Lawrence's mom and dad would allow her to move in with them. Around the same time, 
Lisa dropped out of high school. She spent most of her days with Lawrence or working retail at a local store. While things were far from ideal, it looked like the couple was headed for marriage. At some point, they even got engaged. But their happy ending never came. The following year, they both gave in to jealousy and started bickering nonstop. According to therapist April Eldemeyer, quote, jealousy may be driven by low self-esteem or a poor self-image. If you don't feel attractive and confident, it can be truly hard to believe that your partner loves and values you. Other times, jealousy can be caused by unrealistic expectations about the relationship. It's not healthy for partners to spend 100% of their time together. Considering the major changes she made to be Lawrence's ideal woman, Lisa likely had issues with her self-esteem. To make matters worse, when she and Lawrence moved in together, they neglected to make time for themselves. Instead of working towards her own goals and aspirations, they spent all of their free time with one another. Eventually, they grew completely dependent on each other. Whenever one of them tried to pull away, the other took it as a personal threat. For example, in the fall of 1989, when Lisa told Lawrence that she wanted to go back to high school, he was less than thrilled. She said he couldn't stand the thought of her being around other guys all day. So rather than graduating, Lisa gave in and stayed home to play house. But the pressure didn't all come from Lawrence. He claimed Lisa had a jealous streak too. She was constantly paranoid that he was cheating on her. She saw every other woman around him as a threat, including his own mother. By most accounts, their relationship quickly grew toxic. In the fall of 1990, the Yunkin family was asked to leave their apartment complex because the neighbors were tired of listening to Lisa and Lawrence fight all night long. The Yunkins were mortified. To avoid another embarrassing eviction, Lawrence's mother told the couple to find a place of their own. That October, Lawrence and Lisa moved to the nearby town of Bridgeport and attempted to start over. Unfortunately, their fighting only got worse. According to Lisa, Lawrence became physically abusive. When he discovered that she'd befriended a male coworker, he allegedly sent her to the hospital. Later that December, she said he sodomized her. It's important to note that none of these claims have been substantiated. Lawrence has insisted that Lisa exaggerated his abuse. Mutual friends and family members tend to corroborate his version of events, with many testifying that Lisa was the more aggressive of the two. She was known to put him down in front of others and even hit him in public. But it's undeniable that Lisa repeatedly accused Lawrence of abuse at the time. When things got bad, she often called her mother to tell her about the horrible things her boyfriend had put her through. At some point, it all became too much. In 1991, the couple called off their engagement and decided to break up for good. However, according to Lisa, Lawrence didn't want her to leave their shared apartment. The two became roommates instead of lovers. The arrangement was far from ideal. 
Soon afterward, Lawrence discovered that Lisa was seeing a mutual friend and went off on her. Even though they were broken up, he couldn't deal with the fact that she was dating someone else. By June, he had reached his breaking point. Lawrence walked out of their apartment and returned to his parents' home. After two long years together, he was ready to put Lisa behind him for good. The move shocked Lisa. Though she had the promise of a new relationship with someone else, she wasn't quite ready to let go of Lawrence. She pleaded with him to come back, but he wasn't interested. Within days of breaking up, Lisa heard some unsettling news. 20-year-old Lawrence had already moved on with another girl, a 16-year-old named Lori Show. When we return, Lawrence's summer fling infuriates Lisa. Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fowls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and the house party gone horribly wrong, to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results. Go deeper inside for affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with party fouls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from ParCast. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Days after calling it quits in the summer of 1991, 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert discovered that her ex, 20-year-old Lawrence Yunkin, had already moved on. Even worse... Lisa knew the other woman. She had crossed paths with 16-year-old Lori Show months earlier. From the start, the two hated each other. Lisa was furious. She wanted Lori Show dead. She had no idea what Lori had already been through. When she was born in 1975, doctors worried Lori wouldn't survive delivery. Her umbilical cord was knotted and had wrapped itself around her tiny neck. Thankfully, she pulled through and became her mother's very own miracle. Ten years later, in April of 1985, young Lori visited her Grammy for the Easter holidays. While preparing a grand feast in the kitchen, Lori's grandma suddenly collapsed to the floor and died of a heart attack right in front of her. The little girl was traumatized. To lift her spirits, Lori's parents took her to Disney World. The experience was anything but magical. On their way to the theme park, her mother and father argued over every little thing. By the time the trip was done, their marriage was over. It took years for Lori to adjust after the divorce, but she eventually grew to accept the new family dynamic. 
She lived primarily with her mother, and in 1991, the two of them moved to a new part of Pennsylvania called East Lampeter. Like any teenager, Lori was eager to make friends. But according to her mother, the 16-year-old fell in with the wrong crowd. Soon after the move, a group of Lori's new classmates allegedly stole her mother's jewelry while at a cookout. It didn't bode well. Then in May, Lori crossed paths with two new faces, 20-year-old Lawrence Yunkin and his girlfriend, 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert. Considering Lisa and Lawrence were both older than Lori, she likely wanted to impress them. But when she told Lisa that she wanted to become a model, Lisa responded, quote, you're not pretty enough. Her boyfriend, on the other hand, apparently disagreed. When Lisa and Lawrence broke up the following month, he immediately reached out to Lori. Within days, the two started seeing each other. The morning after she found out, Lisa called Lori in a fit of rage. According to a mutual friend, she threatened to kill Lori if she went after her man. Lori ignored Lisa and continued to date Lawrence. Their first outings were innocent enough. They watched TV. They hung out at the mall. Lori even invited Lawrence to her grandfather's house and they swam in his pool. Lawrence also introduced Lori to his parents, Jackie and Barry Yunkin. For the first time in a long time, Jackie and Barry were excited about their son's romantic prospects. Unlike Lisa, Lori was sweet and respectful. She had career aspirations and came from a good family. Lori's parents, on the other hand, weren't thrilled with the four-year age gap between the two, but they ultimately trusted their daughter and Lawrence seemed like a gentleman. However, within days of starting their relationship, Lawrence proved them wrong. On one afternoon, he and Lori had plans to visit the local fair together, but instead, he drove Lori to a private patch of road and raped her. Confused and conflicted, 16-year-old Lori kept the incident a secret from her parents. Meanwhile, Lawrence dodged angry calls from his ex. Lisa rung him up repeatedly and threatened to die by suicide unless Lawrence got back together with her. But with Lori by his side, it seems Lawrence wasn't swayed. When that didn't work, Lisa made a series of emotional calls to her mother and father, telling them that Lawrence was hitting her. Her parents still thought the two were dating and living together, but they weren't at the time. By the end of June, the two were already broken up and were living separate lives. It's possible this abuse never happened. The pleas for help suggest Lisa was having a difficult time coping with the breakup. It's no surprise that the loss of a relationship can cause intense emotional distress. Social psychologist Jerry Carancis writes, most of us experience a relationship breakup at some point in our lives. For some of us, the experience may be most profound when we lose our first love. A romantic relationship that has spanned a considerable time also provokes intense feelings of loss, even when people knew their relationship was problematic. 
They may have found their relationships dissatisfying and view their former partner as insensitive, selfish, argumentative, even unloving, and still mourn the loss of it. By all accounts, Lisa had nothing but complaints about her time with Lawrence. Still, when he left, she begged him to come back. Towards the end of June, however, she discovered an even bigger issue with her breakup. She was pregnant. It was a situation she never thought she'd find herself in. Years earlier, a doctor said she wouldn't ever be able to conceive naturally. Were she and Lawrence still together, the news might have been welcomed. Unfortunately, Lawrence and Lori were still an item. Even worse, word got around that the two had sex. Through a mutual friend, Lisa learned the grim details of the summer fling, though she didn't know that Lawrence had raped Lori. Lisa was infuriated. She'd made things very clear to Lori's show. Lawrence was hers and hers alone. Sure, they were broken up, but that was just how their relationship was. They'd been in countless fights before and they always managed to get back together. But now, thanks to Lori, reconciliation seemed impossible. Lisa couldn't raise their child alone. She was a high school dropout with no career prospects. She had to get him back. Around the beginning of July, Lisa made two important phone calls, one to Lawrence and one to Lori's mother, Hazel. She screamed profanities at both of them and told them that she was pregnant with Lawrence's baby. Hazel immediately confronted Lawrence and told him he could no longer date her daughter. She didn't want Lori caught up in the mess of his previous relationship, especially since Lisa was clearly an emotional wreck. Lawrence reluctantly agreed and the two parted ways. For the most part, Lori took the breakup in stride Considering Lawrence had raped her, it seemed she wanted to put the past behind her and move on with her life. She got her driver's permit and even started dating someone new. Lawrence, however, was a complete mess. When he learned that Lisa was pregnant, he went to his mother in tears. She'd always taught him to do the right thing, and that meant he'd have to marry Lisa. But deep down, he knew they weren't good for each other. He worried they'd be stuck together forever, making each other miserable. Despite his dread, Lawrence returned to the apartment he'd shared with Lisa, and the two gave their relationship another shot. But the damage had already been done. Now, in addition to carrying his child, Lisa had to carry the weight of his betrayal for the rest of her life. She obsessed over Lawrence's relationship with Lori until it was all she thought about. She couldn't get the image of the two of them together out of her mind. Every time she looked at her boyfriend, she wondered if he was still pining for another girl. But instead of taking her anger out on Lawrence, Lisa had a new target in mind. From the very first moment she'd met Lori, Lisa had known she didn't like her. When she told Lori she was too ugly to model, she thought she'd put the girl in her place. Apparently, she'd only encouraged Lori to date her man. Lori's show had crossed a line, 
and Lisa couldn't rest until she made her suffer. According to psychologist Brandy Engler, this kind of anger, when directed at the other woman, is often, quote, a distraction from the underlying feelings of shame. It's easier to turn to rage and a desire to attack another person than it is to deal with shame. Our minds create this monolithic idea of the other woman as a terrible person. As for the man who cheated, the betrayed woman likely still loves him. Perhaps she is afraid to leave. It's hard to sit with that. While Lawrence didn't technically cheat on Lisa, Lisa definitely felt betrayed. For two years, the two of them were at the center of each other's lives. Their relationship was extremely public. Everyone knew they were an item and everyone expected them to walk down the aisle together one day. Now, Lawrence had fallen for another girl. With a baby on the way and the limited career options, Lisa was stuck in a difficult situation. Even though her anger should have been pointed towards Lawrence, it seemed she didn't want to risk pushing him away. She needed him by her side. Instead of dealing with the shame of being abandoned by a partner, Lisa targeted Lori. She turned the girl into public enemy number one, insulting her and spreading rumors as often as she could. She told countless friends, neighbors, and even random acquaintances that Lori's show was promiscuous and two-faced. Her sole purpose was to tear down Lori to deal with her anger at Lawrence. Her cruel antics didn't stop at words either. Lisa became downright fixated on Lori. In the beginning of July 1991, she paid a visit to the East Town Mall with revenge on her mind. Lori worked inside the bustling shopping center, selling women's clothes at the Deb shop to help her mother pay the bills. She did her best to put on a happy face as she worked that day, which wasn't exactly easy. In the past few weeks, she had not only cut ties with Lawrence, she'd also been the victim of rape. Even so, she powered through, folding clothes and helping people with their purchases to keep her mind off her troubles. She was working the floor, talking to a customer, when Lisa Michelle Lambert stormed inside and started screaming. She cornered Lori and screamed profanities in her face until she was finally made to leave. The incident left Lori shaken. The minute she got home from work, she called Lisa and told her to leave her alone. As soon as she learned that Lisa was pregnant, she'd done the right thing and stepped out of the picture. She had no interest in being with Lawrence. Now it was time for Lisa to back off too. In response, Lisa shouted more insults through the phone. Fortunately for Lori, her mother was listening in on the call. Hazel interrupted the tense conversation and said, quote, Lisa, you've got Lawrence. She doesn't want him. You must leave her alone. What should have been a wake-up call for Lisa, however, only enraged her more. She hung up, more determined than ever, to make Lori's life a nightmare. Coming up, Lisa launches her next attack on Lori. Now, back to our story. 
In the summer of 1991, 18-year-old Lisa Michelle Lambert started harassing 16-year-old Lori Show. Lori had briefly dated Lisa's on-and-off boyfriend, 20-year-old Lawrence Youngkin, while he and Lisa weren't together. Lisa terrorized Lori by screaming profanities at her while Lori was working in the East Town Mall. In response, Lori insisted she no longer wanted anything to do with Lawrence and begged for Lisa to leave her alone. Lisa didn't get the message. By the end of the month, she escalated her attacks and started full-on stalking Lori. Psychiatrists Sarah G. West and Susan Hatters Friedman studied this kind of obsessive behavior and discovered that female stalkers tend to target people that they know, and they are capable of threatening their victims and even becoming violent. People must be cautious not to underestimate women's potential for violence secondary to a gender bias. More often than not, West and Friedman found that female offenders turned to stalking due to feelings of anger, abandonment, and loneliness. Since Lawrence had walked out on their relationship, Lisa may have felt a mixture of all three. But as we've mentioned, it seems she knew better than to push Lawrence further away. Instead of lashing out at him, she focused all her anger on the other woman. To help her cause, Lisa rounded up a group of teenage girls who also had it out for Lori's show. Apparently, Lori had made several enemies among her fellow classmates, and Lisa leapt into action to organize them. 16-year-old Laura Thomas was particularly upset with Lori. They had once been good friends, but Lori had allegedly spread a salacious rumor about her and ruined her social life. Laura sympathized with Lisa's side of the story and agreed to join her crusade. She and another girl were tasked with coaxing Lori downtown. There, Lisa and a few others planned to grab her and tie her to a pole. Then, according to Lisa, they were simply going to cut off Lori's hair as a prank. According to the other girls, however, Lisa claimed she wanted to slit Lori's throat. Whatever the case, it seems the scheme went too far for the students. By the time Laura and her friend went to Lori's condo, they were having second thoughts about the whole thing. The girls wound up warning Lori not to leave her house at all. The following night, Laura confessed to everything and told Lori that Lisa was out to hurt her. Lisa was frustrated that her plans had fallen through, but she wasn't deterred. She was determined to do whatever it took to make Lori suffer. Over the next few weeks, she enlisted the help of several other young girls, but none of her new schemes panned out either. Though Lori clearly had her enemies, even they knew she didn't deserve such extreme harassment. Meanwhile, Lawrence mostly ignored his girlfriend's vendetta, only making half-hearted attempts to calm Lisa down. While we can't say for certain whether he took Lisa's threats seriously or not, it seems he knew better than to stand in her way. For years, he'd been on the receiving end of her wrath, and now he was hesitant to speak up when someone else was bearing the brunt of it. Although he never actively joined in on the attacks, he had no problem standing back 
and watching all the drama unfold. In fact, according to Lori's mother, Hazel, Lawrence appeared to enjoy all the fighting. Because of him, two beautiful women were at each other's throats. A part of him seemed to take pleasure in it. So, towards the end of July, when Lisa was in the throes of yet another fit of rage, Lawrence didn't even try to stop her. Instead, he took her to the East Town Mall again and waited with her for Lori to finish her shift. When Lisa finally spotted Lori making her way out to the parking lot, she stormed up and threw her against a wall. Lori returned home battered and bruised. Overwhelmed by the constant harassment, she finally broke down and confessed to her mother that Lawrence had raped her. The show's considered pressing charges, but Hazel claimed Lori didn't want to make things worse. Unfortunately, Lisa couldn't be stopped either way. The following month, she and Lawrence returned to the mall to launch another attack. This time around, Lori spotted them first and called her mother for help. Hazel alerted the authorities and an officer arrived at the scene. Lori privately told the policeman that Lawrence had raped her, but when he asked if she wanted to file a report, Lori declined. She was terrified that pressing charges would only aggravate the situation and fuel Lisa's fire. But it seems the lack of repercussions only emboldened her attacker. Later that month, when Lisa saw Lori and her mother shopping at a market, she shouted more profanities at them in front of a crowd. She publicly humiliated Lori by announcing that she had slept with Lawrence. It was a mistake. While Lori was terrified of Lisa, her mother, Hazel, was not. She defended her daughter and finally told Lisa that Lawrence had raped Lori. She threatened to press charges if Lisa didn't leave them alone. For once, Lisa was at a loss for words. While she knew Lawrence and Lori had sex, she believed it was consensual. She and Lawrence fled the scene. For the rest of the month, they left Lori alone. But Lisa was only biding her time. While the rape accusation took her off guard, she still blamed Lori for ruining her relationship. Even though Lawrence had come back to her, Lisa couldn't deal with the fact that he'd ever loved someone else. She needed Lori to feel her pain. Continuing to harass the girl, however, was proving more and more difficult. By the beginning of the fall, Lisa had exhausted her list of girlfriends who might join in on the fight. The constant talk of getting even with Lori hadn't just gotten old, it became downright evil. According to several witnesses, Lisa regularly threatened to kill Lori in graphic terms. No one she knew could tolerate her violent obsession any longer. She needed a fresh set of ears, someone who could give her the sympathy and encouragement she craved. In September, Lisa found the answer to her prayers, 17-year-old Tabitha Buck. Tabitha was a high school senior who came from a large blended family. Her parents had separated years earlier and her mother, Joanne, refused to let Tabitha live with her father. So in 1990, 
Tabitha begrudgingly moved with Joanne to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Despite the abrupt change, Tabitha maintained her status as a gifted student and musician. But as she was relatively new in town, she didn't have very many friends. She did, however, manage to snag a boyfriend named Keith Painter. Through Keith, she met Lisa and Lawrence. That fall, the couples went on a string of double dates. To Tabitha, Lawrence and Lisa had a storybook romance. Not only were they both strikingly beautiful, it seemed the two were really in love. Even when Tabitha and Keith called it quits, she stayed in touch with Lawrence and Lisa. They often gave her rides and hung out with her at the mall when no one else would. Tabitha appreciated the couple's support. Although they weren't the best of friends, she made sure to listen whenever Lisa went on about Lori's show. Lisa definitely said some disturbing things from time to time, but Tabitha assumed the expectant mother was just being emotional. Since Lisa had been so nice to her, Tabitha imagined Lori must have been pretty awful to get on Lisa's bad side. She had no idea who Lisa Michelle Lambert really was. In October 1991, 18-year-old Lisa and 20-year-old Lawrence returned to the East Town Mall. Lori had just finished work and was waiting for her mother to pick her up, but Lisa and Lawrence beat Hazel to the punch. They eyed Lori near the mall entrance and sped towards her. Before Lori could run away, Lisa jumped out, slammed her onto the ground, and started bashing her head against a truck. She howled that Lori had ruined the life of her unborn baby forever. According to one witness, Lisa also threatened to, quote, take care of her if she contacted the authorities. Later, Lori called her mother and tearfully described the attack. Hazel was irate. No matter how hard they had tried to ignore Lisa, she wouldn't leave them alone. Now, they had to take action. She reached out to the East Lampeter Police Department and filed assault charges against Lisa. Unfortunately, it seems police officers didn't take the issue very seriously. They waited nearly an entire month before launching an investigation. On December 16th, an officer finally reached out to Lori and another witness who had seen the attack. He also tried to track down Lisa, but couldn't locate her address. It appeared that both Lisa and Lawrence had moved out of their apartment. When he called Lisa's parents, Lynn and Judy, for help, they said they had no idea where their daughter was. A few months earlier, Lynn and Judy had cut ties with Lisa. For years, they urged her to end her toxic relationship with Lawrence. When they found out that Lisa had stolen money and valuables from their home, they filed a restraining order. As long as Lisa continued to live with Lawrence, they no longer wanted her in their lives. Despite claiming to have no idea where their daughter was, somehow Lisa was tipped off about the investigation anyway. When she heard she was wanted for assault charges, she snapped. She was six months into her pregnancy, and now she had to deal with the prospect of facing time behind bars. But more than that, both Lisa and Lawrence worried Lori 
would pursue rape charges against him. Before that could happen, Lisa wanted to shut Lori up for good. On the night of December 19, 1991, she went to the only person left who cared to listen, Tabitha Buck. According to Tabitha, when Lisa arrived at her door, she was visibly upset. When she asked what was wrong, Lisa told Tabitha she was going to kill Lori Show. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with part two of Lisa Michelle Lambert's story. For more information on the murder of Lori Show, amongst the many sources we used, we found Overkill by Lynn Riddle extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory. We'll see you next time, when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Jane O, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hi, listeners, it's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fowls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.